This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Zachary Farley. Today, I'm speaking with an expert in the field of keeping a distillery in compliance and, should the unforeseen happen, getting them up and running again. Distillers know, or should know, that the government requires a bond to cover all of their alcohol-producing activities. Every business owner knows that they need insurance to cover everything, well, short of direct acts of God. Today, it is my pleasure to be speaking with a real pioneer in the field of distillery-related insurance. Now, one note, as opposed to our usual in-person interviews, this interview is being conducted over Skype. So please excuse any audio abnormalities. With that said, I'd like to welcome my guest, Aaron Linden of Hub International Insurance. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Zachary, for giving me a call. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to learn about this because, quite frankly, it's a gigantic hole in my own knowledge, the world of bonding and alcohol and spirits insurance. So, Aaron, tell me about your company. What do you do for alcohol brands? Well, Zach, I've been dealing with specifically craft distilleries for the last five or six years exclusively all over the country. In doing so, though, I realized about five years ago, after working with several distilleries, that there was a huge gap in the insurance products that are already available or were available at the time for distilleries. So through my company, through Hub International here in Sheridan, Wyoming, I actually sat down, went through all the forms and endorsements and found that they didn't really provide the coverages that distillers needed to actually cover for their products, especially in the way of maturation and products that are being held for a time, you know, and what the value of those are before they can be released on and on. So what I actually did was I actually wrote the endorsement forms for the product that I offer and went and interviewed roughly about 16 or 17 different insurance companies throughout the country, trying to get one of them to bite off on this thing. And finally ended up with one that said, you know what, this makes complete sense. We like what this has to say. We like how it fills the gaps of everything else. We're willing to adopt this and run with you on it. So that's where everything kind of started and where we're at today. Well, wow, so you basically had to build a lot of this from the ground up. It's not like you just picked up a thriving business and ran forward with it. You created this field on some level, or at least filled in a lot of the holes that weren't being serviced by other people in the industry. Exactly correct. Yeah, what we found was when I sat down and really became familiar with the distiller's side of things, I've gone grain to glass at three different distilleries, so I understand it from that perspective. I'm no master distiller by any stretch of the imagination, but I understand it from the production side of things. When I brought that knowledge back and I sat down and I really got intimate with the forms, really read through what they had to say and what the insurance companies were providing or actually not providing, it threw up a ton of red flags for me. So I sat down and I called some underwriters and claims adjusters and said, you know, what does this mean? What about this? And I tried different scenarios to them and they're like, oh no, we're not going to cover that. Or, well, you know what? We don't know what would happen in that situation. Well, I've been one that, you know, I like it from a technical aspect on the insurance side. So I've filled gaps and voids in this thing by understanding it from both sides 
And actually, did I create the entire thing? No. Did I create some great parts of it? Absolutely. We had the base to build off of, insurance service offices, the ISO forms that were available, taking those, nuancing them, enhancing them, and then just coming up with some kind of revolutionary stuff that nobody's ever thought of before in the way of actually insuring maturing products and things of that nature. So you got to give some credit. I mean, you know, we had a base <laughs> plate, obviously, the boilerplate stuff to build off of, yeah. but it was just nobody else, I don't think, you know, not that I'm a Rhodes Scholar, rocket scientist, but just knowing it from both sides, the insurance side, I've been doing the insurance side for about 15 years, and the distillery side for six put it all together and came up with something that is quite different than anything else available in the market today. Very cool. So I just need to ask before we go any further, did you pick spirits and alcohol to focus on just so you could have the most fun looking expense reports in your entire (laughs) company? You know what? No, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, now it's not that I was adverse to the world of spirits prior to. It kind of, in a weird way, picked me, just like anybody, you know, you go to a liquor store, you get some choices, and you're like, hey, I like this, da-da-da, and, you know, have cocktails with friends and, and all that good stuff, but about six years ago, I was approached by a distillery, and they said, you know what, we're having a heck of a time finding anybody that understands the insurance side of this. I had actually put together a couple of national programs prior to this one that dealt in kind of the recreation industry, hotels, campgrounds, lodges, resorts, things of that nature, and kind of got a name for being able to do a lot of things that most people couldn't or didn't want to take the time to do. So they had a friend that was in that industry, referred them to me, and we started working together and really got to understand each other and and what they were looking for. And at that point in time, once we got through it, once we got everything figured out, it became second nature to just look at it and go, you know what, if they're having this big of a problem, I bet a lot of people are having a problem out there or they don't know that they're having a problem. So maybe it should be pointed out to them. That's an even scarier thing to think about, right? You don't even know that you're having this issue. Well, that's the thing. And you know what? Distillers, they're not, or maybe they are, but most are not insurance experts, just like I can't build a great mash bill. I mean, it just works that way. So a lot of people go to a local vendor and say, could you insure my distillery? Sure, they can. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that they should. Okay. You know, that's the big issue. So a lot of people perceive this as when you approach me, say, well, what about your insurance? Oh, yeah, I've got insurance. Right. You've got insurance. But what is it? What does it actually cover? Yeah, let's dive into that now. Speaking about something specifically, from what I understand and from what I've read, one of the largest problems that a new distillery kind of runs into is actually undervaluing the bond on their facilities. In your experience, how big of an issue is this? And is that because it's some kind of black art trying to figure out this valuation? Does it involve arcane mathematics? Why do you think new distilleries run into this problem? You know, it is kind of a weird black art. and It does involve weird arcane mathematics. <laughs> but that a lot of that is... Okay, that explains it. Moving on to the next question then. Exactly. Winner. It kind of has a lot to do with the federal government. You know, anytime the, the government's involved, you know, things get a little sticky and red tape and, and things of that nature. On the bond, you know, the biggest issue is people just don't really have a good understanding of it. Because as you read through the TTB, subsection 19, that talks about the bond and how you come up with the numbers for the bond, it's pretty hard to figure out. It's pretty hard to decipher what it is. So the bonding aspect of a distillery gets 
a black eye. And for good reason. I mean, when you call the TTB, sometimes you can get the answers you're looking for. Sometimes you can't. So it is kind of a weird black art in the fact that everything is based on proof gallonage. Mm -hmm. And in that, TTB says that a proof gallon is 50% ADV alcohol by volume or 100 proof at 60 degrees Fahrenheit and everything has to be converted into that. So whether you're over that or under it, it has to be brought to 100 proof and taxation rate is $13.50 per proof gallon. Then you need to figure out what your production is, what your warehousing, you know, what you're actually distilling, how much you have bulked, bottled, and how much is being withdrawn from premise. Now that is a lot of math right there. Exactly. To complicate it further, the bond is broken out into two sections. One is the operation side, one is the withdrawal side. So under the operations, it's your distiller warehouse and processor, and then on your withdrawal side, it's just the withdrawal. So on the operation side, it's done on a 30-day basis. On the withdrawal side, it's done on a 15-day basis. So not only do they complicate it by throwing arcane math into the equation, but then they divide it up into different periods and a lot of other things. The beauty of it, though, is in doing it for a long time, knowing it for a really long time, but in developing, there's a great spreadsheet not many people know about that is out on the TTB website that will actually do conversions for you. And I've taken that and I've tweaked it a little bit. Oh, wow. And it makes the process a heck of a lot easier. And so coming up with that actual value, can somebody get you a bond? Yes. Does that mean that they should? Probably not. If you don't know what you're doing, it can slow down the process. One of the biggest issues is people trying to get their DSP. You know, they want to get their paperwork in. In order to get your DSP submitted and approved, you have to have a bond. If the agent that you're working with doesn't know or has never done one before, it can actually really mess things up and cost you time and money. So it boils down to one of those things. If you know what you're doing, great. If you don't, you know, maybe move on, find somebody that does for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that really speaks to something. People want to get going, right? They have this idea for this distillery. They know that paperwork is onerous and long. They just kind of want to get going. They call up their insurance provider and they say, can you cover me? You can. Great. Okay, I got that taken care of. Now let me move forward. Exactly. And I think a lot of things you're talking about is, well, slow down, hold on, because this is one of those issues that won't bite you when you're first getting started. (laughs) But boy, can it really come back to haunt you once you're under operation. And the time you've saved at the very beginning is not going to look so great six months, a year down the road if you get audited or caught or an issue arises. That's exactly correct. I had a call. It was kind of funny the other day. A guy called me up and he said, I talked to the TTB and they told me I have to have a $16,000 bond. Now, I don't know if that's actually what they told him or if that's what he heard them tell him. But a $16,000 bond is the very minimum limit bond that the TTB will allow. But at the $16,000 bond limit, it's broken out $15,000 on that operation side and 1000 on the withdrawal. What that really tells you in the arcane mathematical facts is at $13.50 per proof gallon into $15,000, that only allows you to have bulk bottled processed or be working on 1,111 proof gallons at any given time. Hmm. And on the withdrawal side, it equates out to about 74 proof gallons, which is about 300 and some bottles of withdrawal at that limit. So in the beginning, maybe that's okay. You know, maybe you're not hitting that level of production or withdrawal. However, if you get into a situation where you do get close to approaching or go over those numbers in that first 12-month period of the bond, you could have serious issues. If the TTB calls audit, you could have some serious problems. That's why it's important to sit down Take time in the beginning, figure out not only what you need now, but project that out. 
to 16, 18 months. Figure out where you're going to be then and base your bond rate on that as opposed to, oh, I just need the minimum right now, let's just roll. Because it can confuse things later on and waste time, basically. Hmm. So then building off of that, really, when is the right time for a brand to reach out to you? You know, would it be at the idea stage? Hey, I'm thinking of starting a distillery. I know that bonding and other insurance is needed. Or should I wait until I've kind of started my TTB paperwork and it's a little bit more real? When do you want to hear from an aspiring distiller? When for you would be the perfect time for someone to reach out and give you a call? You know, I have done everything from the people that call me up and say, hey, I'm kicking this idea around all the way into folks that have been producing for 10 years uh, that have certain needs. So it's really all over the board. For somebody that's starting up, that's getting involved and interested and they're in that kind of idea phase or they've started pulling together the information, the paperwork, once they get to a point where they have a pretty good idea of their starting size and what they think they're really going to be producing. It can be dependent upon their still size, how many runs they're planning on doing, you know, how much time they're putting into it. We can figure it out from that point. And it's always better earlier than later because earlier we can put a number on it. Later, we can always change that number, but sometimes going into it at the later phase of the game can be a little more difficult or, God forbid, you run into a situation where there's an issue and you can't get bonded. Now, I've only had that happen maybe six to eight times, but I'll tell you what, that is a huge bump in the road. (laughs) I bet. Yes, it sounds like it would be. (laughs) Yeah, trying to get your DSP because at that point in time, your only viable option is to post cash to a secured account for the TTB that would stand in the place of the bond which means whatever that bond face amount would have been, 16000 25000 50000 whatever, that's cash now you have to come up with to post if you can't get a surety to back you. So that can be, for some, a huge issue. For others, they just go, I'll stroke a check, whatever. <laughs> I don't think there are many uh, craft distillers who are just getting started who have an extra twenty-five right. dollars to $50,000 in cash <laughs> just kind of lying. Okay, no problem. You know what? And even the guys that do, mm-hmm. I've talked to guys that said, well, you know, I had a, I had a $100,000 bond that I had posted cash for. Why? I mean, <laughs> that's costing you liquid funds that could be put into the distillery, marketing, product development, whatever. And a $100,000 bond, you're looking at a maybe $700 premium a year on that bond. Well, why have 100000 tied up when it's only going to cost you $700? I mean, I don't care how big you are. That just does not make financial sense in my mind. Mine neither. Well, and it sounds like you really like talking to people. You really like helping people who are just getting started. You know so much because you've been involved at so many stages in distilleries. You don't mind getting a call from someone who is just getting started. And you could probably point things out to them that they haven't even considered yet. So people shouldn't be scared to call you too soon. No, not at all. Like I said, the earlier the better. Any. Mm-hmm. Anybody that has a question, even if I don't end up working with them, you know, the reason I really do a lot of what I do is I enjoy it and I am trying to make the industry better. Obviously, it's going through a huge boom phase right now where there's a lot of people that are interested in it, want to get into it. I want to help those people out. I want to help them become successful. I want to help them get their feet on the ground and running as quickly as possible and move forward with them. If they choose to use me, that's great. If they don't, you know what? I'm not for everybody, but I'm sure happy to help them out. 99 times out of 100, I probably end up helping them out just because we become pretty good friends throughout the process. Not to mention, it's all about helping 
the industry. I've put together also an advisory group, basically, and we call it SAGE. It stands for the Spirits Advisory Group of Experts. And in that, I have alcohol legal compliance guys. I've got a guy that was with the ATF and TTB since 1975, retired after decades with them, and now he does consulting on DSPs and paperwork and all of that stuff. I've got guys that all they do is the accounting aspect of it. What can be written off? What can't? How can you use your maturing product as actual assets to the company? I got guys that all they do is the creative marketing side, label development, box design, blah, blah, blah. And it's all, again, a better industry. What I really want to do is make this the best industry for everybody involved because at the end of the day, what that does is it drives business for all of us. You know, that makes everybody else more profitable. We become more profitable and everybody's having fun learning and moving along with each other instead of people throwing up roadblocks in their way. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's build on that a little bit then in trying to better educate and better inform people even more. Putting on my lawyer's hat, I can imagine a distillery needing liability insurance, workman's comp if you have employees, coverage for visitors, coverage for tasting room guests. Mm-hmm. What are some coverages that people often ignore or you know, just even forget to inquire about? And that's the fun aspect of this is the insurance side of it is as varied as the products that people are making. You've got your boilerplate concerns. I need general liability, so if somebody comes in, slip trip falls while they're taking a tour or whatever, I have coverage. I need coverage for my product. If something is wrong with the product, I had an incident where somebody was hand-filling bottles and nicked the neck of the bottles on a batch and some glass went into the bottle, had to get those recalled because what if somebody ingests that? You know, I mean, there could be a lawsuit there. So making sure that we have products liability coverage. So kind of the more the base boilerplate issues. You know, how can we cover my equipment? You know, what if my still, what if I have a fire here and I'm out, you know, my equipment or what about my product? That's one of the things though that really drove me to develop an insurance program specifically for this is that was the biggest thing in order to answer your question that people often ignore or don't really ask questions about is how is your product, the actual value of your product being contemplated in your insurance program right now. What I found was out of the top eight that you see and hear about out in the world, insurance companies, they've got some cool distill something in their name or they've got a craft beverage program or something along those lines. There's an issue with their forms in their endorsement because they write everything based on what is called a distilled spirits and wines market valuation form. Mm -hmm. The issue with that form is that in that form, it specifically says that we, the insurance company, are going to determine the value of your product at the time and the place of the loss, and then we will assess the value of it based on market value. The issue with that is, one, the insurance company is going to tell you what it's worth after it's gone when you can do nothing (laughs) about it. Prove it, yeah. It's not an ideal situation. Two, they say market value, yet they never define market value. Furthermore, the issue becomes, what if it is a three-year bourbon that you're doing and you lose it in the second year? What is the market value of that? You ask some of these companies, some of the underwriters, claims folks, whatever, what is the market value of that product? They go, well, it wasn't marketable. They said it's a three-year bourbon. It couldn't have gone to market, so I don't know. I guess maybe we give them like base barrel costs and whatever they had into producing it, and that's about it. Well, that's a huge issue. You're out a time element. 
there's a coverage out there, business income and extra expense coverage. It can contemplate some things like that. However, it can only usually be drawn out to maybe 12 months with an extra 90-day reporting period, so maybe 15 months. However, startups and things aren't looking at, you know, doing a 20-year pappy type situation, but some are doing a four or five-year bourbon. If you're four or five years into it, you lose that product and you only get base barrel cost plus whatever you had into it, you're out a huge revenue source. So what I essentially did was I created this endorsement that actually puts the product on a progressive valuation scale on an agreed value amount. Basically in non-insurancies, what that means is you and I sit down, figure out what the end product is going to be worth. What are you going to sell it for a bottle? Do the reverse math. How many bottles are we getting out of a cask? Are you doing 25s, 23s, 53s? What are we doing? 10s, 5s? Figure that out. Figure out what then that barrel is going to be worth at the end of maturation and reverse it out over how many years you're going to be maturing the product and then assign the value to it. For ease of math's sake, let's say it's a bourbon barrel. It's a three-year bourbon. At the end of the life cycle of the maturation, it's worth $6,000. What we do then is on the form that I created, we say basically first year from day one that it's put up to within 11-month time frame, it's worth 33% of the final value or $2,000. Then if it gets within a month of the maturation date, we'll give you the next year's value. Second year, 66% or $4,000. Third year, end of maturation, it's worth full value, $6,000 or 100%. And it's guaranteed. So it takes the forensics claims adjusting out of it. It takes <laughs> the unknown mm-hmm. out of something like that where you go, well, if this happens, what do I get? Well, now we know. Now we know definitively at the end of the day what this product is actually worth. You're paying premium on it as it matures, obviously, but with that being said, you're also getting value for it, whereas everything else right now in the industry operates on that market value that you really don't know what you're going to get. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, it sounds obvious on the one hand, but it really takes someone who sits down and understands the industry to even kind of come up with that kind of schedule to know how the process runs. And that sounds like one of the benefits that you bring to the table, being someone who just focuses on this field, you're able to think not just outside the box in that you are not a producer, but kind of from within the industry, I guess, inside the box uh, to turn that phrase around a little bit because you know it so well and you can imagine the scenarios that arise. And then on another thought, when you ask someone to sit down and say, okay, you're putting up a five-year bourbon, what is that going to be worth in five years? And let's really walk through it. It kind of sounds like you're also making that new distiller who's coming to you and says, I need insurance. I want to build this product. You're kind of giving them a reality check too. Let's talk about your business plan on some level. Let's see where you're actually going to be in five years. And it's just another good reality check for them to sit down and say, okay, what is the real value of something I'm putting in a barrel? How long is it going to take me to extract that out? And how do I protect myself? It sounds like a great reality check and a great way to just confirm everything that you are planning on doing does in fact all add up at the end of the day. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, it really does. It brings a lot of a lot of the hard questions out into the light of day, basically. But those questions that are kind of lingering in the shadows, you know, what what do you really think this is going to be worth? Are you shooting for a higher-end product, middle of the row? I mean, what are we really hoping to achieve with this? How are we going to take care of you along the way? Because that's obviously a pretty long journey. And God forbid something happens along that journey. We want to make sure that, that you're going to be able to recoup and keep moving on down the road and be able to function if the unforeseeable happens. 
And that's what insurance is all about. No one likes to think about what happens if there's a fire in my rick house and I lose all my barrels. But I mean, that's what insurance is there for. And you really need to sit down and think about what is the value of the things that you're putting away to store. Exactly. Insurance, one, for most of the population, insanely boring. If you're having trouble sleeping, pull out your insurance policy, start reading through it. <laughs> It'll knock you right out. But two, it's that thing that, oh my gosh, it's costing me this much and I never get anything for it. I get a big stack of paper in the mail. It's just a pain. You know, it's a big expense and I never see anything for it until, until. the day that something happens. God forbid that it ever does. Insurance is one of those things that you hope and pray is a waste of money, that you pay for year after year after year and you don't have to use it because generally speaking, if you do have to use it, something bad has happened. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. You know, so it's always kind of perceived as, oh, it costs so much and it doesn't give me anything. No, if it's done right, it does give you a lot. It gives you everything. (laughs) But it's one of those things where instead of it giving you everything, you hope that it never gives you anything because you don't want to have to necessarily go through a big, horrible claim scenario like that. Not because of that everybody's going to be out to get you. It's just it means that you've sustained some tragedy in your life or your business, and no one wants that. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit more. What are some of the other services or value adds that you bring to your clients that people may not quite realize? I imagine you and your company are more than just the people I call when somebody slips and falls in my distillery or the unforeseen happens and I need to file a claim. What else do you provide your clients that may not be immediately apparent when I think about my insurance company? Absolutely. In this industry, I have now become kind of the man of many hats. I throw just kind of a plug out there, but on the American Distilling Institute forums, I do a lot of posting out there, and I'm known as insurance man. And (laughs) in doing that, I've been approached by people from all over the industry, and I tell people, don't just think of me as the boring insurance guy. One, I love what I do, so I try and make it not boring. I try and put it in plain English instead of insurance ease so that you understand what you actually are getting. But two, I have people that I work with continually, guys that are legal and accounting and creative and TTB compliance, whatever. But I also work with several guys that build American-made stills, mash tons, cart boys, fermentation tanks, coolants, all kinds of things, as well as, it's crazy, I've got now a good friend of mine that approached me. He actually has a national distribution for a cooperage. They're able to cooper 2,000 new American white oak barrels a month that we can inject. Yeah, that we can inject into the industry right now. So I've got a line on barrels because I've got a buddy that's a distributor for a cooperage. Those are the value added that your local people, I mean, in my town, I'm a local guy. Local guys are great. But when it comes to something very specific and very nuanced like this, it pays to go to somebody that knows what they're doing because then you get all these ancillary build-ins of things as well. You know, does your local insurance guy in Podunk, America have a line on barrels? Probably not. You know? You're right. Why? <laughs> and, and not that I'm saying, oh, I'm fantastic. I have. I just, I've been lucky. I've made cool connections with awesome people. And I can put people onto pretty much anything within the industry. I've got a guy that sells bulk molasses for crying out loud. I've got guys that do nothing but specialty grain. And I write a lot of their insurance as well, just because over the years we've developed friendships and business relationships and a lot of referring people back and forth. And then on the insurance side, other 
values that I bring to the table. You mentioned workers' comp. The more inane things that people don't think about, I've really made this a one-stop shop for everything. I even do ocean cargo coverages for people that are importing, exporting products to other parts of the world. Wow. Pretty much anything that can be contemplated that has to do with the craft distillery and partly craft brewery and wineries as well. But I really have a very rounded worldly knowledge and my fingers into many aspects of it for sure. Hmm. Well, so I guess it kind of answers the question, you know, for example, I live in New York and you don't live in my state. You don't live in my time zone. Why should I call you a specialist when I can call the person down the street who may not specialize in it? But it sounds like one of those reasons is because when I work with you, I'm not just working with you, I'm working with your entire network. And if I have a question about something, odds are you know someone on the other end. What are some of the other things that people should think about when they think about which insurance person to call? Absolutely. What do you provide that others really don't that are in the same field? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that question a lot is people could say, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with it. I'm in Kentucky or I'm in Fairbanks, Alaska or what have you. And what I tell them is kind of what we talked about, exactly as you had had uh, detailed out so nicely previously. It's not just me. It's the network that I run in of experts that know those other aspects of it that I can get people put in touch with. But as well, the biggest factor is at the end of the day, doing business locally is amazing. That's what keeps our local communities thriving. However, when it comes to car insurance or insuring your home, is a local guy great at it? Probably. Has he had experience in it? Probably. My question always is, how many other distilleries have they worked with? Because this wasn't something that I just jumped into and went, I know everything about it. This was an insane learning process that I really embraced. Like I said, went out, distilled at three different places, you know, really got my hands dirty, understanding it had specialists at the TTB that I would talk to at least three times a week, figuring out the nuances of the bonds on and on. So local guys are great a lot of times. However, when it comes to something like this, and you're really, this is your passion. This is what you're going to try and create and make a livelihood out of in the fact that you're going to be making an alcohol product. You want to protect that. You want to protect it in the best way possible. Find somebody that knows exactly what you need, how to get it for you, provide you with the best protection that they can, and do it for a good price. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be paying crazy amounts. There's the phrase insurance poor. You can insure against everything, but it's not worth it. So that's one of the other things that I bring to the table is I, I will consult people and say, you know what, here's everything that you probably should have. Now, let's take a look at realistically what can we get away with, what can't we, what are you willing to take on as risk retention, what are you willing to self-insure at this point in time, and figure it out together. My favorite is somebody who calls, hey, I'm starting a distillery, get me what you think I need. <laughs> I have no idea what you need. I mean, I know everything that you need, but I don't know what you need specifically. It mm -hmm. depends on what you're doing, what you're making. Are you maturing products or are you not? If you're not, the maturation side of the product that I have probably isn't going to interest you. However, the agreed value side might because you may have $80,000, $120,000 worth of gin or vodka sitting around at any given time. And you don't necessarily want it placed on a market value. You want it more on an agreed value because you know what you should be getting for it. 
So, you know, it's those situations where knowing or having somebody that knows what they're doing is invaluable. So that's one of the reasons that I really do what I do on a daily basis, do it sometimes, unfortunately, 14 hours a day because you brought up time zones. My day actually starts at about six in the morning because I do a lot of Eastern time zones. And it's kind of funny as you watch the day progress, you know, six o'clock in the morning, phone might start ringing in Maine, New York, Vermont, Connecticut, somebody, Florida, and then it moves all of a sudden Michigan, Ohio, (laughs) (laughs) and on and on. And sometimes my phone will not stop ringing until six or seven at night. When California or Hawaii finally goes to sleep. Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah, exactly right. In California, you know, (laughs) California is only an hour behind me, so that's not so bad. Okay. But you know what? I always tell people, I encourage them to call if they've got questions. I always say in my world, there is no stupid question because this is difficult. It's hard. It's tough to figure out what you need, how to get it. Do I really need it? These guys told me this. What do you think? That's what I love to do when people call me. This is the other crazy aspect of this. I do this in all 50 states, but when you call me, you get me. You shoot me a text, you get me. I got a myriad of people working behind the scenes, but when you talk to me, you get me because even though my people are wonderfully educated in this and they have to hear me drone on for hours all day long about ABV and and everything (laughs) else and taxable liability rates, they don't know it like I know it. They're very educated. They do everything in the background wonderfully. But I feel like I owe that. If the people are interested enough to call me and ask me a question, I'm interested enough to talk to them. So that's the other aspect. Local guys, sometimes you end up, you know, you get a policy through them and you end up talking to one of their quote-unquote minions. You're never actually talking to the person that you wanted to buy the policy from. And oftentimes, if you have those more pointed questions, they may not have the answers just because they don't have that experience. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a long answer, but there you go. (laughs) One of the things that you pride yourself in is really finding niche solutions in a very unique industry. So it would be dishonest to not want to sit down and talk to someone and really go through what their unique set of issues are, really. You can imagine what happens to a car on a street in New York City or California or in the middle of the Midwest. Like you said, local people can imagine all those scenarios. You spend your day thinking about all the scenarios that might happen in a distillery, and you really need to talk to someone and really go through everything with them. Absolutely. I think it just speaks to exactly why you wanted to get into this, you know, very small, specialized industry. Well, and like you said, it's also just a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that too. Yes. and (laughs) It's just fun to go see folks. It's fun to get samples of people's products. At the end of the day, am I living the coolest life as an insurance person possible? Absolutely. (laughs) People always say, well, you know, I'll meet them, whatever, and they don't know really what I do. And I tell them, well, you know, commercial insurance. They're like, oh, God, you know, that's boring. It's somewhere between like a divorce lawyer and used car salesman and stuff. And how boring. And I go, no, the insurance guys like that, that are doing that, they're doing it wrong because if you can do some fun stuff like I do all day long, I mean, it's amazing. I'm excited every day to come to work. It's just a passion. I think I'm a distiller at heart. I don't have a distillery. You hear that um, TTB? He actually, does not. Okay. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Whoever's listening. Whoever's tap, listening. Tap. Um, <laughs> but I just enjoy it. I enjoy every aspect of it. And I just enjoy, like I said, making the industry better. I want to be the guy that's not, like I said, just known for insurance. I want to be the guy that everybody's like, oh my gosh, I talked to him. And yeah, not only did he help me through that process, but he got me hooked up with this cool compliance guy. And now I actually understand the reports that I'm filing and it just makes it better. And the better it can be, the less losses that we're going to have or the less setbacks as an industry we're going to have. And the more it's going to grow and the more it's going to be accepted and the more states are going to say, you know what? 
we used to be down on these types of operations. Yeah, man, let's open it up. Kind of like what they did recently in Minnesota. Holy cow. I mean, it went from very few to, I think, in the course of the last 10 months, there's been 14 that wow. have gotten their DSPs. Yeah, so stuff like that where it's assisting the industry. I mean, that's what really just excites me. Yeah, I guess unlike your colleagues in other four areas of commercial insurance, at the end of the day, you really are helping people build something and maybe they send you a bottle of whatever they've made and you actually get to hold that in your hands and think, wow, you were a piece of what got this craft whiskey or craft vodka out into the marketplace. And, and I have to tell you, one of the biggest kicks that I get is when I'm either in my local liquor store or, you know, out traveling, I frequent liquor stores, not just because I'm buying <laughs> stuff, but I mean, I like to just right. go in and look and it does, it brings a smile to my face every time I walk in there and I'm like, I know that one. Hey, I write that one, you know, and one of the biggest kicks I get is I remember when those guys were in a business incubator unit, you know, they had 800 square feet. Now they're in a 12,000 square foot facility with a warehouse and they just called me because they were excited that they needed to get a state bond because they're having distribution in their 27th state. Wow. How cool is that? That makes me feel excited and happy to have been part of it, not in, you know, the marketing and the actual making the product. But I was there. Yeah. I got to be involved. Well, you can tell from the way I talk about it. I love it. Right. You love being a part of this. It's just fun. Let me ask you a question. So that's the ecstatic moment. That's the great moment. That's the time that everyone's really happy. We're moving into our 27th state. Aaron, I need a bigger bond. I need more insurance. We're expanding. We're growing. Okay. From the other side, don't name any names. I don't want any confidential information, obviously. Absolutely. What's the one mistake, though, that you see new brands making that just makes you want to grab them and say, you know, stop, please stop perpetuating this thing over and over again? There's a couple ways to answer that. From an insurability standpoint, you know, it would be stop. Don't go for the cheapest thing right off the bat. You know, I mean, let's really figure out what you need and let's get you there. If it comes from an actual brand making a business mistake. And obviously, you know, I'm not their business development guy. However, the one thing that I see that really troubles me a lot of times is when somebody has a business model where they say, we're going to get up and running and we're going to be in five states within a year. <laughs> Man, if that's your business model and that's what your profit and your distribution is predicated on, pretty tough. And the reason I say that is not because maybe they don't have the best product. Maybe they've got a killer product. Marketing can be part of that. Distribution can be a part of that. In some states, the distributors aren't taking new products in the gin and vodka realm because they have so many, but that's what it boils down to is there's a boom going on. And in that, there's a lot of cool products out there, so it's harder to get that big that quick. Has it happened? Have I been part of those? Absolutely. Has it been amazing? Very much so. But that's the one thing people always ask me, what's the biggest mistake I can make moving forward? I said, what do you want to do in the first year? They're like, man, I just want to, you know, in my city and kind of in my town. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Super cool. If you can get that distribution then statewide, awesome. And then build it, grow it. Cool. But those guys that they're like, my business model is I have to be in 42 states within the first 16 months. You're like, <laughs> it's, dude, that's, that's tough. That's yeah. really tough. Don't, I know, starting up, ton of cost, a ton of cost. But the insurance side, if done right, shouldn't be outrageous. I mean, in a startup, it should not be anything that is going to break the bank if it's done correctly. I mean, if you just go to Joe Schmo down the street and ask him to set something up for you, and he puts it with a carrier that doesn't know what it is, doesn't really like it, they're maybe going to charge you more. Again, if you know 
somebody that knows what they're doing. Selfless plug, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but if you can find somebody else that knows what they're doing, I'm sure there's people out there. I don't know. And like I said, I'm not for everybody, maybe. But find somebody that knows what they're doing and be willing to be open to looking at it and going, wow, you know, maybe 800 bucks more a year than I thought I was going to pay, but I get it. I get the value. What I have found is if the insurance is described accurately as to what you're getting, people are a lot more accepting of spending the money. The people that don't like to spend the money on insurance don't like to because they have not one clue what the heck they're getting. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, why do I need to pay for this? What is this even for? Yeah. Exactly. They just go, well, isn't this just liability? I mean, nobody's going to get hurt in here. Well, <laughs> right. right. But there's a lot more to it if it's structured correctly. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, I think to your first business plan point, one thing I've always found interesting is you don't realize how much the United States is a collection of 50 states until you start speaking with and working with people in the alcohol industry. And it's, it's not like shipping goods over <laughs> across state lines, any other good, really. Every state is in charge of its own liquor distribution and how you get into its market. And yeah, it's really eye-opening when you talk to people as they start to grow. It's, it's not like just selling any other widget into another state. You're crossing over into a new kingdom. You're crossing into a whole new realm. And your rules, you may know them front and back, they don't apply. That's exactly right. The interstate side of it, one state to another is very intriguing just because it is. It's a new realm. It's a new fiefdom. They are in control of their own thing, three-tier, ABC, you know, alcohol beverage control, whatever it is. And a lot of those will have bonding requirements. Some don't. Some do, though. Hey, if you're bringing product, you've got to post a bond to the state now, not only a federal bond, but to the state as well for that purpose. Again, it's one of those things. You don't need to necessarily know that. I mean, if, if you're going, hey, man, we're going to start distributing in whatever, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And Georgia comes to you and goes, hey, we need this. You don't need to necessarily even know what it is. I mean, if you want to know what it is, I'm more than happy to tell you. But that's why it pays to know somebody that knows something about this. Call them up and say, hey, man, I'm working with Georgia and they're telling me this. Yeah, we can get it taken care of. You know, I mean, it's those kind of things where it just it makes your life a heck of a lot easier. But you're right. There is nothing else in the country like the alcohol industry to really show you that although united we stand, we also are pretty divided when it comes to the transportation of alcohol. Okay, so now from the negatives of the industry, the things you'd like to see stop happening, let's go to the other end. Do you have one success story that you could share? Because I imagine people call you at two stages, when they're just getting set up and they need to get their policies put together, and when they're in dire straits, you know, when the unforeseen happens and they've lost product due to an unforeseen event. Is there one moment when you were particularly proud of your team for coming through for a client that you could share with us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of different aspects. One had a distillery that very, very good product, very pleased with their product, had cut a deal with uh, another place. They were doing a shipment and we had talked about, hey, what about this? What about cargo? We've got some ancillary cargo on there, covers you up to this amount. What do you think? They're like, no, 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 I think, I think, I think we're okay. I, I think that'll cover us. So, well, let me know how many barrels you're going to do, da, da, da. Sent me a text of all things. He's like, actually, you know, we're going to double the barrels, but I think we're, we'll be okay. Oh, boy. Well, so I, I went and talked with a couple of my folks and I said, you know what, here's what I'm thinking. Let's go to the company and see if we can't get just a one-time doubling on the ancillary cargo that we have and see if they'll just do it, you know, 
because hmm. it's one time, it's less than 24 hours, basically. If they want to charge a premium, let me know what it is. I'll let them know. Company comes back, they go, you know what? It's a one-time thing, whatever. They've been a good client. You know, you guys are great with us, da-da-da. And it was fine because considerations like that can be made. You know, hey, we're just putting this auto on for like a day. Do you really need to charge for it? No, it's fine. And the unforeseeable happened now. The good news is they only lost part of the load that would have been covered under the beginning part anyway. But nice part was they go, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that this didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. We were able to go to him and say, you know what? We actually had that problem solved for you. If you would have read your text <laughs> message, you would have known that. Yeah. But uh, doing things like that, kind of going above and beyond, knowing, ask the questions. You know, what are we actually doing here? We get situations sometimes where people need something now. I mean, like right now. Oh, my gosh. We just found out that our bond has got to be increased and not by a little bit, by a ton. Or one example was I had a gentleman call me literally 24 hours before his bond was going to expire. And anybody that knows anything about the DSP and the bonding process and everything else, some people say, oh my gosh, you know, it took me two months to get my bond. That's ridiculous. That never should have happened. But called me 24 hours in advance. Said, I got to take my bond from 120 to $380,000. Can you help me? Wow. We had to put together in less than four hours for him. But that wasn't just a me thing. That was me. That was my people. But that was really on the part of the surety that we work with for a majority of the bonds that we do. They're so responsive. I always say, I'm not a superhero. I go by insurance man. But the reason I do that is because is there anybody else out there that could do it? Not saying that I'm the best thing since sliced bread, but no, probably not. There's not a lot of folks out there that either have that relationship with a surety company or do so much of it that they can call them up and say, hey, you know what? We got to do this. We got to do it now. And I know it's a big increase, but here's everything up front that I know you're going to ask for, make this happen. And they can make it happen. So, you know, this guy would have been in a tough spot on prepaid taxes that he would have actually had to stroke a check for if we couldn't have gotten this done. Was able to call him back four hours later and go, hey, man, taken care of. <laughs> and he was super excited. Not to mention, this is an aside to that story. Come to find out, he had been paying roughly about $6,400 a year for that $100,000 bond. I don't know why. That's ridiculous. We took it to $380,000, and it only cost him $1,600. So he was very excited that we got wow. it done quickly, but he was really agitated that for four years, he'd been wasting about roughly $5,000 a year. So Yikes. Goes back to, does the person know what the heck they're talking about? <laughs> sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Basically the theme of this discussion so far. <laughs> exactly. Well, but really, you know, if I can drive one thing home, the one thing, grab somebody, tell them to stop, is don't just call somebody. You know, don't just call Joe Schmo because your parents had their house and autos with them for 20 years. Dude may never have done anything besides homes and autos, but he will maybe tell you that he can do a distillery. That doesn't mean he should. Find somebody, anybody that knows what they're doing. Again, doesn't have to be me. I'm not for everybody. But find somebody that can talk, but talk and knows the nuances of the industry. Then you've got somebody that you can work with. Well, Aaron, I can't think of a better way to wrap this discussion up than leaving it on that note. Such a valuable thing to leave my listeners with. And it's been such a great discussion. I just want to ask you one more question. And something I like to ask everyone. What's your favorite cocktail? When you get home at the end of the day, how do you like to relax? What's the thing you like to put in your glass and sip on? <laughs> I feel as though I'm being baited into something. No, I mean, it, it depends. <laughs> you it have just, to pick. <laughs> I enjoy everything, but I will say that one thing that I recently got hooked on, and it's kind of my favorite, 
right now. For right now, absolutely. Is, okay. Right now. Someone yeah, runs into a bar at a bar at a conference or something and you're not drinking this cocktail, it doesn't make you a liar. For today, right, right now, your favorite cocktail. For today, right now, I am hooked on what is called a Sazerac. Now, it does not have to be made with Sazerac rye. I mean, I'm willing to put anybody's rye in it, but just the overall Sazerac cocktail, hmm. amazing. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. And really, thank you for going through in so much detail and just sharing your wisdom with us. This has been great. How can people get in touch with you? If people are interested in having a discussion, finding out bond limits, Wanting me to work with them on their insurance, I'm licensed in every state, do it everywhere, uh, have experience with a lot of the states, a lot of state bonding, blah, blah, blah. But in order to get in touch with me, you can email me at aaron.linden at hubinternational.com, and it's just A-A-R-O-N dot L-I-N-D-E-N at H-U-B, then international, all spelled out, dot com. You can go to my website. It's just www.hublinden.com. All my contact info is there. But what I really encourage people to do and what I really like to do, call me on my cell phone. I know that sounds weird, right? I mean, you got hundreds of people calling you every day on your cell phone, but it's the way I build my relationships. I want to know my people. I want them to know me. Call me on my cell. Phone number on that is area code 307-752-5961. Even shoot me a text. Let me know when you're open to talking. And I do things different than most people. I'm very... Upon social media, you know, I'm not the quintessential insurance guy. I'm not some old white-haired dude out on the golf course all the time. I'm hanging out and talking to people about booze. So <laughs> feel free to get in touch with me any way possible. Not too bad. I hope you have an unlimited minute and unlimited text plan for all yeah, of that. Absolutely. But it, it does say a lot. You're willing to put not just your desk phone out there, but your cell phone. People can get a hold of you anywhere that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do. I encourage people. I mean, I want the people to call me with their questions and, and concerns, and, and I want to be the one with my team to help them. But when you call, I want you to be able to talk to me. And that's part of the value brought to the table is, you know, you don't sign up for this to hope to never talk to me again. I mean, <laughs> that's we want to we wanna be a partnership, a trusted business consultant in a way that does, you know, the insurance and other aspects. So Very cool. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And thank you for what you do and for what you've put together. This is a fantastic project. And I have absolutely had a blast listening to the other podcasts. And I love the value that it brings to the industry. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. 